The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Okay, we do certainly want to welcome our online listeners this morning. But today's message is victory for the psychological area of life, and I do believe this is number 34. So before we move into the dynamic reality of victory in Christ, I want to do a quick review the, the fruit for the psychological area of life, which obviously sets us up for being able to walk in victory. You got Christians walking around not manifesting the Holy Spirit. You're going to have chaos in your life. That's the facts. Indwelt or not. The fruit of the Spirit is what brings peace. Love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's where it comes from. You pull it away and you're going to get the opposite of those grapes. It's called fruit unto death. Now someone please share with me, for our listeners, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. You may need to run to the Galatians passage to, to get that fruit, but... So let's, let's, yeah, let's name the, the fruit of the Spirit and then go to the opposite of each one. Love would be hate. Joy would be despair. Self-control would be out of control. Patience would be impatient. impatient. Lord God, please, I command you to give me patience. Yeah, I'll listen to you, Steve. I'll, I'll bow down to your requests instantly. What's another one? Kindness, Kindness would be mean. mean. What's another one? Gentleness, Gentleness would be I'm never guilty of that one, so let's move on. <laughs> and if you haven't noticed, there are certain ones that the enemy harasses the daylights out of you in, whereas someone else he may not. Okay, so goodness and the opposite of goodness would be badness. <laughs> Unrighteous behavior. So faithfulness would be unfaithfulness, but I don't believe faithfulness is a... It is a grape? Okay. Okay. So that's what you have. You'll, you just, as soon as you take the fruit out, you're going to have that left for the Antichrist, the opposite, which he loves, thrives on anyway, so it's no big deal to him. It'll be a big deal to him when he's got flames coming at every angle of his existence for eternity forever and ever and ever, he'll care. You think he's used to flames right now? He's not. He's not. He doesn't have flames around him right now. Nobody does who has died. Hades is a dark closet. Hades is what we have before 
God opens up the pit. Satan has to be the first to be burned. Then his triunit goes in. The beast and the false prophet. Those three get to experience the heat first. Then all the unsaved get tossed in as, as extra kindling. That's how it works. Hades is nothing more than a dark closet right now. They can't touch, feel, hear, connect with any form of life. So if you've had a relative that has died and gone to hell, they're not in hell yet, they're in Hades. They're in a dark place. Yes. Well, Sheol is oftentimes referenced out of Hebrew, and then the New Testament is oftentimes connected with Hades, but yeah, it's the same thing. It is a dark place that they get the loneliness factor. They don't get the, the gnashing of teeth and eternal flames of the lake of fire. So there is no going back and warning. So when people use the term, you know, my grandma still talks to me. She's been dead for 30 years. Wrong. It's called a demon pretending to be a human spirit. You would not wake up in the morning and hear a voice and say, Oh, Grandma! Yes, you would. But I can guarantee you're not going to wake up in the morning and hear someone talking to you and say, Oh, it's a demon! Yay! <laughs> Sit down and have a talk! I just can't... Tell me about Grandma. There's this ugly demon, you know, that's wanting to consume you. You'd have to be a Satanist to want that. Well, how stupid do you think they are? They're not stupid. Christians are accused in the Word of God of being more ignorant than demons. They know exactly who to present themselves as. Grandma! Because you'll talk to a spirit if the spirit is grandma. So you see how it works? They're not going to tell it to you straight. They wouldn't, be, <laughs> they wouldn't be liars. Liars don't tell it to you straight. So if you have suffered with thinking grandma's there, or your cousin, or your best friend, or your whatever, you've got the sickness. Not the demon. The demon's got you down. Knows how you work. They present themselves in ways that are going to work, deceive you. Sorcery comes from where? It's even in the Latin. Break it up. False scent of source. When you stick sorcery inside true Christianity, you have spoiled the whole bunch. One drop of poison destroys it. Like Christian yoga. <laughs> or even Christian yogurt. I mean, that would do it too, wouldn't it? I'm glad you're back, because you're the only one that really laughs at my own. It, we live in a, a very messy world. But it's not new, because remember when Pharaoh was sitting in his fancy little chair, and the magi, magicians came out? 
And they threw their staffs on the floor and they turned into these snakes. Of course, Moses was freaking out. Oh my gosh, they got power. We don't, Lord. No. Source, Uri, is stealing from God. So Moses understood that and he just laid his staff down. It turned into a snake and what happened? Huh? Devoured the two snakes. Well, do you think it's a surprise that many, many years later, the Pergamum community was established? Which was the very first community that established a university of medicine. I have a picture of this of a friend who stood in front of this carved-in illustration illustration, a doctor, and he sent me this picture of him standing at the throne of Satan, Pergamum, with the medical symbol behind him, with the Moses staff, with the two magi snakes not devoured, but pointed at the Moses staff saying, we're in control. And that's where the medical symbol came from, Pergamum. It's there to this day. Accident, afraid not. But you see, this is not new. So why wouldn't he do that with your personal life? Just kind of show up when, in something that appears to be Christian. Just stays there and presents it long enough so you never really do get the right connection to receive Christ in your life, not into your heart. To literally possess your mortal being, to become your life, your mind, everything. That is the thing that Satan does not want the world to get. Once a human body becomes possessed by the Holy Spirit, it's over for him. It's over. He's lost. And since he's the one holding the numbers, so I hope you guys are with me on this, Satan has more humans in his hand than God does. 90%, 10%. Who do you think is walking around on the face of the earth every day believing they are the victor? It's Satan. Numbers don't lie. And he rubs it in God's face 24-7. Who's got the lion's share, Mr. Daniel? So let's look at our first slide, believe it or not. One of the greatest deceptions in Christendom is assuming that our own thoughts are or can be the thoughts of the Lord. Truth being said, the vain philosophy will never fly in the kingdom of God. God clearly keeps the two separate, and probably for a good reason. In fact, this is the reason he puts the mind of Christ in us. There's another verse that says, for my ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. 
He keeps it separate. So that becomes our battle every day. Was that my thoughts? Was that my ways? Or is that God's thoughts? Is that God's ways? So having a breathing, as the songs were telling us this morning, that Michael W. does such an incredible job of, of uh, picking, writing, singing, is this whole separation between God's thoughts, God's ways, versus my ways or my thoughts. The last breath you have here on this earth is going to be a battle between his thoughts, Christ's mind in you, and your thoughts, your mind in you. It's not going away. When you physically die, your physical brain dies. And then your soul and your spirit are going to be joined with a brand new body. Will this brand new body have a brain? I say yes. And literally, the new brain, the new soul, mind-willing emotions, the new uh, uh, spirit which was given to you on the day of your salvation, all become unified and one and function in complete harmony with each other. There's no battling human thought way with Christ thought way. It's gone. There's no battle. That is the transformational element of going into eternal life with your soul. Your spirit's already there. Colossians 3. But your soul, mind, will, and emotions shredding off this, this, this body that's got sin in it and stepping into this new body that is awaiting us. There's no battle anymore. There is a wall between that world and your new world. No one can go backwards. Now I want to warn you ahead of time of this movie that's coming out. Of this little kid that went to heaven. It's the big rage. Don't go see it. That's dangerous. There's nobody that's gone in and come back out. Nobody. So it's not how it works and people who understand how it works and what the scriptures say about the great seal, it doesn't work that way. So what are these kids and adults seeing of seeing the pit of hell and talking to Satan for 10 minutes and coming back and warning the world or whatever? It's demonic. They present themselves as angels of light. The scriptures don't support people, humans having that kind of prerogative to go and have a chat with God for 10 minutes and come back and make a movie about it. What if, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but what if Satan has created a heaven? Now, since he's not a creator, he didn't and he can't. So it's an illusion. It's an illusional package of people actually 
receiving Christ as by the words of their mouth, but never receive the power of the spirit of life. So they never are able to ingest the mystery of life. And that there are millions of people who have got a proclamation of receiving Christ when they have not received Christ. And scarier still, some of those very people have casted out demons. They have preached in Jesus' name. They have conducted miracles. And Jesus says, Be gone from me, you wicked and evil generation, for I know you not. Is there a possibility that Satan has created an illusion of Christianity? Any pastor or Christian who has stayed in the word is going to be able to tell you, of course he did. The illusion of the snakes is no different than the illusion of Christianity today. Christianity is a great description for Satan's people. Christ followers. So all he has to do is replace the Christ figure. He becomes the Christ figure. So the Christ followers become the Antichrist followers. Simple trick. It does not take someone studying theology to figure out the hand is quicker than the eye. Deacon Nicholas, one degree. How many years ago was he, was he messing with the seven churches? How, how many years ago? It's been a lot of years. And just, just that one statement Jesus addresses in, the, in Revelation where he says, For you need a father to intercede for you before the father. The priesthood was born amongst the Christians. The birth of the Catholic Church. One degree. DK, what did Jesus say? Those of you who practice the, de the deeds and beliefs of Deacon Nicholas. There's only two times that the word hate is even used in his mouth. That is one of them. For I hate the practices of Deacon Nicholas. And while that's how it all started was Satan took what was the source and he made it about him and it turned into sorcery. So if you took Deacon Nicholas's 1%, you need, a, you need a father. Okay, and you run that forward a couple thousand years, how far are you off? Little ways? Long ways? You have the one world religion. One tiny little thing for Christ to say, for I hate the practices and beliefs of, of the Nickelodeons. Nickelodeon? <laughs> yes. I hate the practice. 2,000 years later, you have the church from that statement. The church that Christ says, I will be back to deal with you. And I can go on hours and hours and hours and hours of teaching from doctrines from the inside of that church all the way 
to the outside and show you endless symbols, endless, it is just covered from beginning to end of Jesus making a simple statement of how much he despises their beliefs. They're deceptive. But for some reason, Satan holds his hand out and goes, they just keep jumping in. Do you not see this, God? They just keep jumping in. You are Catholic if you're not born again. And you're going to see that someday. Because Catholic doesn't mean what you think it means. You can look up even in the Webster Dictionary and see a different definition from what you're used to hearing. Yeah, and Catholic does not mean what we think it means. The Nickelonians know what it means. Well, David was the apple of God's eye. Israel is the eye. The passageway, the view to all understanding. It's the great mystery. So people who say, you know, in this whole idea of of reinventing Christianity and, and saying that the church, the people of Christ are Israel. It's replacement theology. Boy, are they in for a big surprise because Israel is the literal, physical land eye of Christ. All things will be seen from that, from that point of view, from the throne to the New Jerusalem to the Battle of Armageddon and the world religion and everything will be seen through that eye. They are very significant from beginning to end. Who was the guy that got his name changed to the eye of God, the Israel? You see, nothing is accident to God, even evil. Hitler was no accident to God. Satan's into big, more money, more land, more control, more religion, more universalism, more, and God is into less, and less, and less. Okay, let's uh, move on to our next slide, and I want to show you something here that uh, God reveals to us out of Isaiah. Christians learning to think can be the gravest skill known to the indwelling life of Christ. Why would that be? Not only have we as, as Americans been labeled as the nation of education, although there's a couple little nations that would argue with us, but we are the nation of education, which uh, oftentimes I war with, golly, does that really make us like Pergamum? Education, education, education equals transformation. Big lie, huh? Education doesn't equal transformation. Exactly. Independent thinking, because you're thinking it through yourself. You don't need the mind of Christ in you. Do you get that? So what happens when you set a bunch of theologians down is they want to argue views over spiritual gifting or views over life in Christ in you, or that's a symbol, or that they want to argue simple points. 
And those of you pastors listening, I'm telling you, if you do choose to argue with them or to bait the life of Christ, you're treading on dangerous territory. I now, at, at my older age, disengage in debates because I have no prerogative to debate the mind of Christ. I have to cling to the simple scriptures say, but this is what the word says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what it says. Anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. Your education is valueless to me. Where did we get the idea that Jesus needs degrees? Now logically, guys, I'm certain you can walk this bridge with me. Whose mind is in us? Okay. Whose mind are we not supposed to be listening to? Ourself. There's no Satan mind in us. And what has our world become experts at is educating what? Our own minds. And here he went through all of this laborious trouble to say, your thoughts are not his thoughts and your ways are not his ways. And our whole world system is built upon building our own minds. When people say that so-and-so has such an intellect, of, I'm like, does someone have a barf bag? Because it makes me sick to hear people categorized as intellectuals or thinkers or, you know, extremely rational people. Or It's like, so? Educated people go to Hades every single day. Besides, the whole idea of degrees came from the Masons. It wasn't even used until the Masons started using it. And then they started influencing universities. I could take you through a history course that literally got the attention of the History Channel. Of the links that I and a couple other guys made from degrees to universities. And now we're forcing Christ to get a degree before you can preach from the pulpit. God, what have we done to you? At least your image. Okay. Right, it's when the deception enters. And then like you said, when somebody says to you, God told me, and they have no biblical basis, you, you can't even argue, you just have to step back. It's over. It's a done deal. You can't argue with God told me when somebody's thought that all through, never studied the Bible or whatever, you're, it's not worth it. It's kind of like when you hear that, and you, there's a gr big red button, you know, on the, the primary locomotive, and they hit that button and it disengages the, the uh, uh, locomotive from the chain of cars that you're pulling for emergency reasons or whatever the reasons are. That's what I do in my mind. When someone says God and they make a proclamation, I go over and hit the button. Because wisdom says, do not argue with God. Because I don't know. They want to debate. They're saying it to get a debate going. I just go over and hit the button. I'm not playing that game. 
That's playing God. You use God's name, you're playing God. If you use God's name, you better be assured God said it. Pretty simple, huh? Our church today places such an emphasis on thinking for themselves that it oftentimes hinders each of these indwell believers from hearing the mind of Christ within. So if you are so focused on learning, learning, but never able to come to the full knowledge of God, that's what the verse says. Always learning, but never able to come to the full knowledge of God, that means that you're focused on your own knowledge. You have no time to think about the things of God. No time. This is why we are called to live life as simple as we can, in fact, like a child, accepting things of God without much thought. Since our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not God's ways, we walk a dangerous line of suppressing the Holy Spirit within us. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Here's the lie. Thinking of yourself is your right and prerogative as a believer. The world puts such an exaltation on this for us Christians to be thinkers, to be thinking through everything so that we're not manipulated, to be honest with you, that we have come to admire and lift up these thinkers above those who walk in the simplicity of the mind of Christ. Now that's not a hard connection, guys. That now what we do is we literally lift up our Christian thinkers above those who have simple minds who actually believe the mind of Christ is in them doing the thinking. That it actually came out of God's mouth to say, you can't even get into heaven. Unless, it's one of the two great requirements of getting in heaven. This is one of them. That you can't even get into heaven unless you are as huh? a child. An unformed mind. Ignorant. Naive. Innocent just believes what's being told to them by their daddy. That's the power of a father. The way you take the power of the father is to get the child to question the father. Once the child starts questioning the father, then it's all over. It's done. All of the seven areas of life are stitched together perfectly. They all need each other to understand the fullness of the gospel for the seven areas of life. They cannot be separated. This is where we get the, uh, we get the mandate of educating and degree Christians before entering Christian service. If I recall, recall from my biblical studies, there are no testimonies of Christ or his disciples sending anyone to school once they have been converted. In this nation, our primary emphasis is once you do become indwelt, you must go to school. So we enter a world that is 
in opposition to this simple truth. But you know what? I've been hanging around as a indwelt Christian long enough to be able to say this. There's going to be less than 1% of you that's going to walk away from this sermon no matter what country you're in. You're going to go right back to educating Jesus Christ in you. You're going to order Jesus around like he's some kind of puppet. Because you have to get educated. You have to be a thinker. You have to think it through. You have to get a degree. You have to have this certification hanging on your wall. And it's all offensive to Christ in you. Christ used educated people like Paul. Dumbed them down so that they were equal with the rest of the dummies. Empowered all of them to hear the mind of Christ within them when he ascended. It is not really that difficult to connect this dot and that dot. But if you're functioning like a bright intellect, you're not going to get it. It takes a child to figure that out. My father spoke, I obey. My father spoke, I obey. When you put logic and reason in between the two, you have humanism. My father spoke, I obey. Oh, that's what my father said, so I believe it. When you teach your children to think, you're teaching them to follow a system that will push them away from the simplicity of the mind of Christ being inside you. Please send me my emails. I'm looking forward to it. This is a horrible, touchy subject for the church. I cannot go pastor a church two blocks from here because I did not get my degree from their institution. Is there something wrong with that picture? There are those who question me pastoring a little fellowship here because I do not have the degrees from certain institutions. Even though I have one of the leading institutions in the entire world chase me on a regular basis to get another doctorate. They don't care. It wasn't a theological degree. There's something wrong with that picture. They've been with that Jesus who didn't even go to Phariseeism school. He didn't. He wasn't even as educated as Paul. (laughs) Pharisees are classified as the parallel to world religion. Pharisees. That's why Jesus called them his enemy. That's why Jesus called him, you are children of your father, the devil. Those are not good titles to carry as educated people. Were people educated within the church, like in the New Testament at the beginning? Not really. I mean, it wasn't until the 13th century that you even bumped into people that knew how to read. And so most of it was by the hearing of your ears. And you just lived it because your leader shared with you the truth. And you believed the truth. And you walked out the truth because that's what I was taught under the tree on Sunday. 
but it even it wasn't until the 15th century that you actually began to see educated people walking around where you could bump into them fairly often. Even when America was started, you know, most children didn't know how to read, thus became adults that didn't know how to read, thus all these years later we got the label of being number two illiterate country in the entire world. How does that happen in this generation today? Very easy. Keep in mind, 86% of the entire world today still can't read the Bible and understand it. So it's still an issue. But we're of an elite group. We think we have rights and prerogatives because we understand the scriptures. Because we get to read and study about them. That's not how you get understanding. Understanding needs to be done through the Spirit of the living God. Now when you study the Word on top of that belief, you're good to go. You can literally go to college and get a degree, even though you don't care about the degree, to learn skills about how you can apply your spiritual gifting in a given area of life. So it's not that education is sin. It is thinking education is necessary. Because it isn't. Paul was called the chief Pharisee before he was blown off of his horse during salvation. That put him in the ranks of being the most educated man on the face of the earth. Once Paul was saved, the Lord began peeling away the thinking of man and reducing him to be able to say, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Excuse me? Paul was one of the best communicators in his day. How could Paul go from being on every satellite station in the world to going to nobody wants him to speak, but to have him say he stutters now? He's fearful and trembling when he stands up and speaks to people. He went from being this great orator to be a Christian who stumbles over his own words. That was a lot of work on God's part to dumb him down. He was the smartest man that walked the face of the earth. That was a lot of laboring to get that man in and out of the desert so many times that he was scared to death to open his mouth to say, God said this to me. Because he understood you even say, God, we are required as Christians to hit the detach button. Do not argue with this man. So what's up? With this whole dumbing down version of, of the chief communicator, he was reduced to two main thoughts of God, to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Pretty simple-minded, if you ask me. I wish I could uh, quit here, but it does go on to say, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Mr. Chief Pharisee, are you kidding me? Yes, Mr. Chief Pharisee had been reduced to being afraid to open his mouth and say, Thus says the Lord. 
So we, we need to make sure we hear God before we say, thus says the Lord. Because if you're wrong, you better start ducking because stones are coming your way. And that is, that is a huge responsibility for our leaders. Huge. That's why leaders are to go through stricter judgment. And so a lot of them know that, so they default and they start failing in their marriages, failing with their churches, failing in the community, so they get booted out and not held responsible. It happens every day. It happened this week in this community. They disengage. I no longer can say, thus says the Lord. Well, son, I don't think you did from the beginning. That it, no one's talking to those people like that. How, well, when were you hearing God? Is this a warning of your salvation? Lack of it? No, they will drift off to another church because they have degrees of education that advances them in preaching the propaganda of the institutions that support their system. Then they die. Then they go to Hades. And then they say, excuse me, I pastored 13 churches. We had healing services down front. I started 16 recovery group ministries. And Jesus can go, I don't know who you are. Didn't anyone tell you what life really is? Where you get understanding? What the knowledge of the holy means? Versus the knowledge of you guys is figuring out the holy? That's not a long bridge to walk across. But for some reason, Satan has made this so crafty that it has turned into sorcery. A source of Christianity that just simply does not exist. Paul would not have been given a television show, radio broadcast, or tour conference after his dumbing down. He probably would have been considered a weak speaker who trips over his own words. He even admits this himself. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. But what he does confess to is how and why he was known for his profound impact. Stay with me guys on this. I know this has been long, but this is the punch. It's that hook coming across to level us out. Here's what Paul was saying he did have that he didn't have before as having four or five doctorate degrees in theology. He's saying, now here's what I got today. Okay? So here it comes, guys. But what he does confess is to how and why he was known for his profound impact in the spiritual world. He says this, but in demonstration of the power, the spirit and of power, so that your faith, people listening to him, would not rest upon the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That is my prayer every week as I sit at my desk, 
plugging away, designing a video for worship or for messages or whatever it is I'm working on, God, they must see the power of God. They have to. This can't be anything other than your spirit and your power. That's got to be it. Because I know what people come back with as I got an email this week is where did you learn such profound insights? How can you write endlessly, this guy said. And this guy's a very good friend of mine. How can you write endlessly? Topic after topic after topic after topic. And, uh, and I said, you know how I do. He's an exchange life teacher too. But he hadn't quite really made that switch. My fingers couldn't type fast enough if the spirit really wanted to cut loose in me. Couldn't do it. It's life is always there. That water comes from the throne 24 hours a day, as Michael W. says. 24 hours a day, that water is just coming out of the throne into Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit into our mortal bodies, into our, our weak, frail minds, and comes out through our fingertips says, that's a great article. That's life. That is how it's supposed to be done. We have to stay in a position of being just like Paul saying, it isn't about me, I can tell you that. So Paul's ministry was not built upon the teachings and educational thoughts of man, but what he did share in his demonstrations of ministry, the inward power and mind of Christ. Paul's victory thought was not due to being educated, but speaking wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. Just take rulers in the same word in the Greek as educators, nor of the educators of this age. Those who educate rule the world. Agree or disagree? Those who educate rule the world. The way you get ruling of a world is you take young minds and educate them with theories and thoughts and principles that are going to enhance your goal as the one who wants to rule the entire world. It's working quite well. Satan's doing a great job of it. So Paul is speaking that this is not of the educators of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom, mind, in a mystery, Christ in you, the hidden wisdom, the mind of Christ, which God predestined before the ages of our glory, Paul is the man whom God cho chose to help us understand these deeper truths directly connected to the deeper mystery of Christ in you. That's why this chapter closes with what? What's the last verse in this chapter again? Don't look. Because if it didn't stick like putty hitting the wall, then it... We have the mind of Christ. This whole principle Paul is throwing out there is saying, I know you're not going to get it because you're spiritually appraised. But those who are mature, those who get it, 
those who have the mind of Christ in them, the mind of Christ in them is going to say, that man is preaching the truth. Because not he was educated to do so, because he understands the release of the mind of Christ. That is four-year-old stuff, guys. And if you don't get it because you're 14, you don't get it because you're 44, you don't get it because you're 104, it's because you're too educated in the foolishness of Christianity. This is simple stuff. I can't, he can. Not I, but Christ. Not my mind, his mind. This is simple 101 Christ in you theology. Paul is clearly teaching us here that the indwelled disciples or disciplers, we are not given a spirit of the world and its methods and teachings, but rather the spirit of the living God so that we can know the things freely given to us, which goes on in this passage. You'd love this whole chapter. It is literally the chapter God gave me to say, this is your method of ministry. This whole chapter. So he goes on to explain actually how it happens inside of him. He says, no one knows the mind of God except for the spirit of God. No one knows the mind of man except for the spirit of the man who is within him. And then he goes on to say, for God knows them. God reveals them, which is in italic if you look in your Bible. And if a word is in italic, you can pretty much put anyone's name in there. For God reveals the person in front of you through spiritual thoughts, which become spiritual words, which is word of knowledge, and you speak it out to them and they go, where did you get that? You've been reading my mail? The Spirit has been searching their minds. Takes that, spiritual thoughts, puts it inside Paul, and it comes out of spiritual words, and it blows them away. Oh, Paul knew what spiritual word of knowledge was. He knew what that manifestation was. Spiritual knowledge, word of knowledge gifting, word of wisdom gifting is supernatural beyond his own brain. And so when God dumps stuff in this brain, Sometimes I have to file it away for years. Other times I speak it out right away and the person gets horribly offended because I went to the core of their very being when it was really Christ that did. Do you realize he walks around with you all day long, knows every thought and intention of your heart, and you don't think he does not have the ability to say, Stephen, come here, i got to tell you what's going on in her mind. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. Go ahead, speak it. And then the leader speaks out these words and the, and the person is going to react one or two ways. Oh, wow, I've been caught. Or resistance. Well, that's your opinion. Well, if I told you really where I got it, we'd really have a discussion. See how that works? It is a difficult truth 
for us to behold. The problem is that I estimate that 90% of the listeners have no clue or understanding of what I just wrote or said, nor do they have any experiential knowledge of such wisdom. Any natural or unsaved discipler, and I did want to keep the term discipler because the majority of our people helpers think they're saved and they're not. They're unsaved disciplers. I'm not sure what they're discipling them in, but they are. They think that they are Christian because they believe in the right things. And all of their practices oftentimes match true Christianity. But it is not preaching and teaching life within. The only way to not take credit for something is to give the credit to someone else. Does that make sense? Christ in you? You give the credit to Christ? You're a nobody. You're a vessel. You're a puppet. And I've used that term with Christ in explaining even Christ himself says, For what you see me doing, it is not I who does it, but my Father. What you hear me saying is not I who speaks it, but my Father. What he speaks, what he does, is his Father's hand in his life, using him as a vessel. And here the greatest sin to humans is I will not be controlled and manipulated. I will not. So what has become the primary issue in the world today? Resistance against spiritual leadership. Questions we, we got it uh, set up for. True born again and indwelt believers have been given the blessing to know the mind of the Lord by releasing the mind of Christ in each and every ministry session. If self-proclaimed Christians, those who think they're saved, is not truly born again and indwelt by the living Spirit of God, you can forget about being a discipler who brings transformation to those you are ministering to. It's that simple. Here's questions we need to ask ourselves. Download these questions. This is slide eight, and it says this. Number one, is the subject of your thoughts Sometimes that represents the reality of Christ's mind as opposed to the deception and wisdom of man. Number two, do thoughts dwell? Do my thoughts dwell on things that are earthly, worldly, or even demonic? Three, well, two, I just want to make that connection to the illustration I was saying earlier. When you start putting demons connected with things of God, you're walking on a thin line. That's like saying to Jesus he was casting out demons by being a demon. Remember that story? It's not a good idea. Calling Christ evil. Number three, am I entertaining the idea that can be... Am I entertaining ideas that can be judged to be righteous concepts and pursuits or mysteries that come from the mind of Christ internally? Four, are my thoughts centered upon releasing the mind of Christ or studying things of God to release truths about Christ? Five, are your thoughts filled with saying the right things or the right verses, allowing Christ to give you spiritual thoughts that are becoming righteous words. Six, how would you characterize your thought life? And then finally, number seven, 
what does possessing the mind of Christ mean to you? Which I'm going to come back to in just a moment. Here's our identity statement. True victory only comes by the Spirit searching the hearts of those who are reaching out to actually Him through us or vice versa. So only comes by the Spirit searching the heart of those we are reaching out to, pouring the uh, found data into the minds and then speaking spiritual words, His words, that will bring lasting change into that person's life. If God can speak one word and have the whole earth come into existence, I can guarantee you this day that one spoken word out of a discipler's mouth can transform the person you're ministering to. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.